pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. For it's living and active, it does penetrate us, and it should penetrate us, Lord God. Because we can build up calluses living in this world. You know that, Father. There is so much sin, there's so much problems in this world, it's easy to build up a callus. But Lord God, would you use your penetrating power of your word this next little while to start scraping off those calluses on our hearts, on our lives, on our failures, on our hurts, on our pain? Would you provide the healing that we need so we can rise and thrive once again? Because you never call us to life in the doldrums. You've called us to life to thrive. For the sake of your glory and for your kingdom. So feed us this morning, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We all perhaps love stories of, I hope we love stories of great comebacks. And we all love sports in one way or another. We all know the stories of athletes who were injured and they make it back to the level that they once had after their injury. One such athlete is Tommy John. Tommy John was a baseball pitcher. He was an above-average baseball pitcher. He started his career the year I was born in 1963 and enjoyed 11 successful years pitching. That is, to July 1974. When, after going 13-3 that season, which is Cy Young material, he was placed on the DL list, the disabled list, where it was discovered that he permanently damaged his UCL ligament in his left throwing arm. And in 1974, that up to that time signified the end of his pitching days. There was no known treatment, there's no known cure, and it ended the pitching career of many pitchers, even the famous Sammy Kovacs could not come back a decade earlier. But there was a doctor, Dr. Frank Job, he was the Seventh day Adventist, as a matter of fact who operated on Tommy John on September 25th, 1974, with a revolutionary new surgery, of course called Tommy John surgery now, where he took the ligament or a tendon from Tommy John's right forearm and took it and put it in the elbow to replace the ligament that was damaged there. And since it was the first operation of its kind, little hope was given that this pitcher would ever pitch again, let alone return to the majors in any sort of level or any sort of capacity as a pitcher. But after 18 hard months of rehab, Tommy John made it back to the majors. And not just pitched, he actually did better afterwards than before his injury. He went on to pitch for another 13 years. He went on to pitch winning 164 more games after his injury than the 124 games before his surgery. And obviously what allowed this pitcher to come back was this revolutionary surgery, but also was his commitment to get back. To put in the long hours of rehab, to retrain his elbow, to accept the tendon as a ligament and learn how to pitch and throw and and how to throw a curveball and things like that. And did that with the whole time not knowing if it was going to be worth it. If he was ever going to pitch again. Yet Tommy John pushed ahead. He was determined. He was focused. He was 
sold out towards putting the work in every day for over 18 months. He was keeping his focus on the goal, on the prize of returning to the big leagues. And as history has proven, it was a success. Where he did, didn't come back and pitch once again, he came back and thrived. When everybody perhaps thought there was no way he could. Now, I hate to burst anybody bubbles this morning, but clearly, I don't think any of us is going to make a, become a pitcher in the big leagues. Now, if you have a little boy, keep the ball in his left hand and teach him how to get the ball across the plate. It's worth $100,000 at least. And if he does so with any success, they need left-handed pitchers. But none of us may never make the big leagues, but nevertheless, as Christians, we can learn something from Tommy John's comeback. And what we can learn is that to thrive in the Christian life, really to thrive in any other part of life, requires a determined focus to do so. I believe this is what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 tells us. If you have your Bibles, read along with me. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Why I think this is what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 tells us to have a determined focus is from the first phrase of that verse. In my English Standard Version, it says, let us hold fast. It's a phrase in the Greek that means the idea or gives the illusion towards that we hold something down with such a determined force, we never stop. That's our sole occupation, is to keep what we're trying to hold down, down. We never waver, we never stop. Meaning the context of this verse as Christians, it teaches that we are to hold something down without wavering. So long, so hard that it becomes our sole focus. Much like after his surgery, Tommy John's sole focus was to pitch again in the majors. Now the question then becomes, if this is the type of focus we ought to have towards something, what is that something? What is that something we, to have, we are to have this sort of determination for? Verse 23 is clear as it goes on. Saying that our determined focus should be the whole fast to our confession of our hope. So as Christians, who or what, who or what is our hope? I hope we would agree, I hope we would say amen, that our hope is Jesus Christ. Now, I hope we're saying that because we just are saying that just because we know that the correct answer for most questions in the church is Jesus Christ. I hope we're saying he's our hope, not because we know that's the right answer. I hope we're saying he's not our hope because he's a great moral teacher. Or he is just a religious icon that I'll grab with all my other ones, so I'm just hoping that when I call upon him, he'll give me the help that I need. But I hope we would say that Jesus Christ is our hope because he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He's the one that God appointed 
to accomplish all the things that we talked about a few weeks ago in verses 19 to 21. He's our hope because of him we can have confidence, no doubt of all, that we can go to the living God of the universe. At any time, any place, we can enter into his presence because Jesus has paid the price. He's paid it all. He serves as the door, the gate. We know he says he is that in the Gospels. And I would hope that if we see that we can come to God of the universe at any time or any place, we would see what a great hope that would be and why Jesus is that hope. Therefore, this makes Jesus, I believe, someone worth holding fast to, holding on to, focusing on. He's worth our confession. He's worth focusing on. Because if we really believe that Jesus Christ accomplished all that he gave us in verses 19 to 21, and live like we believed it, I think we would thrive. What's the first words of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the type of God that we have a relationship with. That he is all-powerful, almighty. Nothing can thwart his plans or his purposes. And if we lived like we believed in that, and we tapped into that energy, why wouldn't we thrive? We thrive because we in constant communion, communion with a God like this. We would have the help that a God like that would give us at any time, or we have that help that a God like this would give us at any time, any place. But not to put heavies on us this morning. An examination of your life, and reviewing your life of the last day, in the last week, the last month, the last year, is it showing the confession which you hold as truth in your heart? Or the confession you said? Is your life bearing evidence that you believe that Jesus Christ is your hope? That Jesus Christ is the hope of the world? Because if we admit it or not, our lives do reveal who and what we truly believe in to be really important. In other words, it betrays or reflects who we confess or what we confess as truth in our hearts. And to be clear, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 tells us that if we truly believe in Jesus Christ, if this is our confession, then that belief should work out from out in how we live and the choices we make. Because all the other things that we hold dear in our hearts work themselves out. How do you know I love my wife? Hopefully you don't disbelieve it because I say it, but you see David exhibiting love towards Jelaine. Because if you didn't, you wonder, why is she with such a loser? And you might wonder that anyways. If I really believe... The Ottawa Senators are the best hockey team in the world. I'd be wearing jerseys. You know, I don't believe that because there's no jerseys in my office. That was the other pastor. 
And you can tell them I slammed them still. Because how we live points clearly to what we believe in our heart about where our truth truly lies. I think, to go back, I think it's clear, I hope it would be clear, why our hope should be in Jesus Christ. Well, firstly, he is who he says he is. Again, verses 19 to 21 proves that he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Also, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says Jesus is our living hope. Why we can have Jesus and count on Jesus to be our hope is because he's alive. Is he not? Because our faith is never supposed to be based on something that happened in the past. Now, don't hear me wrong. What Jesus done on the cross is past, and our total faith is built on that. But a lot of time we live out the practicalities of our faith, remembering when we came to the altar 30 years ago. Trouble is, between then and 30 years later, a lot of water goes under the bridge. And if we never trusted Jesus in those 30 years, it's going to be hard to thrive. Nor is our faith totally supposed to be based on the presence of the experiential side of enjoying God in the present. Or are we just to be so heavenly minded with no earthly good by focusing on what Jesus is going to give us in the future? Because our hope in the living Jesus is hope from what he's done in the past for us. It's hope for the, what he's doing in the present for us. A few sermons ago, we talked about how he's meditate, meditating for us. He's praying for us. He's encouraging us. He's with us. Nor is our hope still to be based on what we're going to inherit tomorrow when we see him face to face. But living hope in Jesus that caused us to thrive... is that he is the living God of the universe. He's the God incarnate. And in that, we have all the value, all the worth, all the treasure that we'll ever need because of who he is. And as we wrap our hearts around Jesus, as we pursue Jesus, that'll work out from us. And we'll thrive. Because he's a living hope. I hope you understand. We can't thrive any other way. The world will throw things at us, trying to tempt us to buy into things so we can thrive, but all these other things will let us down. Wealth. Just got to make money and I'll have hope. Health, beauty, love. All those things aren't really alive. They may appear temporarily to help. There was a time where I was young, believe it or not. I had more hair, more muscles. 30 years later, age is catching up to me. Love, it's for a lifetime. But it doesn't last beyond a lifetime. Money, 
Certainly, I could make a lot of money, pass on to my next generation. They could pass on to the next generation. But sooner or later, someone in my generation is going to squander what I give them away. Money is temporary. They're not much alive. They're not alive as Jesus is alive. Because all things eventually fade away. Unlike Jesus who lives forever, therefore this then makes all these other things and the hope that they offer or can offer not even worth comparing to Jesus Christ and what he offers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.13, that's why we preach Christ crucified. We don't preach why you should do this to have a great life. Or here's 10 steps to have a better marriage. That's important. But it's not going to last. Jesus Christ is the one that can give us good marriages. Jesus Christ is the one who can give us a good life. Jesus Christ is the one who can restore our health. Or give us the grace to reflect his glory as we're suffering. This is why then when we misplace our hope by putting in anybody or anything else, we usually don't thrive. We actually begin to die. I bought my wife for Christmas. What did I buy you? An amethyst? Is that the... Amorous, whatever that word I can't pronounce. And it was thriving. And we were watering it and stuff, and then a couple weeks ago I had to put it in the dark room. Because it wasn't thriving. And the hope is, is that what we're going to do in about eight weeks, take it out, and it's going to produce again. How many of us are in the dark room? Because we put ourselves there. We're in the, we put our hope in the wrong things. You know, have we, are we, putting our hope in something compared to Jesus that's dead? And then wondering why we're not thriving. As Jesus says we should, and I've gone to this verse throughout this series. Are we going to take Jesus out of his word and believe that he wants to give us a life abundantly? We already just said amen that Jesus can be taken out of his word. See, Jesus wants us to thrive. He wants us to live life thriving. That means joy. Which is why, as verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10 goes on, he says, let us hold fast to confession our hope without wavering. It's important to us we don't allow ourselves to waver from who we say our hope is. And where we say our hope is in. Again, Jesus is our only hope because he's a living hope. Also at the end of verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says he's our hope because he's faithful. Something, of course, that scripture confirms over and over and over again, the faithfulness of God. We sing to him, great is thy faithfulness. We can rest in that as well. And if Jesus is faithful to the end, He cannot, will not, ever let us down. Nor can he do something contrary to his promise. It'd be totally against 
who he is. Therefore, as a result, we should not waver in our confession about him or our hope in him because he remains steadfast. Again, this is something that we confirm by how we live our lives. So what are we showing through our choices, through where we put our energy, where we put our resources towards? Are we showing the world and ourselves that Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure? Can we say what Paul says here in Philippians? Are we living lives that don't waver from this reality? Lives that are wholeheartedly focused on Jesus? Lives with a determination for Jesus Christ and growing in his knowledge and his grace? To hopefully be honest to the same level that Tommy John intensity showed to get back to big leagues. Because doesn't one of the things that not wavering means is pursue something with passion? Be careful, Daniel, but I'm going to ask you a question. Did you pursue my daughter with a singular passion over the last one? I don't know what answer you want here. <laughs> Say yes. <laughs> you don't love her? Well, what about Jesus? That's the singular passion. I know, but I can do that. I told him I was going to get back today. To how much more level should we pursue Christ? Because he's alive. I'm pursuing my wife, and my wife's pursuing me after 20 years of marriage, but we also recognize now that I'm 56. It ain't going to last forever. See, without wavering here in verse 23, means that we pursue Christ first and foremost. Not things and Jesus. Or Jesus and other things. Like our faith, our salvation is something that we just practice when it really matters. Or when we're around a certain number of people. Or at church on a Sunday morning. That we're not... 10% Christian and 90% world. That creates schizophrenia in the spiritual sense for us. We're Christians 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, till we see him face to face. That's what without wavering means. Jesus only. It means following him first and foremost. When he says, pick up your cross and follow me, we pick up our cross and follow him. We believe in him without wavering each and every moment we live. Without wavering means also, quite frankly, we have to fight. Fight to obedience to what he says to do in his word. Look at verse 22. We talked about that last week. Drawing near means we have a healthy, consistent, vibrant life of prayer. That we consistently go to the living God to give what the living God needs to give us so we can live. We don't go when stuff hits the fan, but we do it all the time. We go to him confessing. We go there repenting of our sins. We go to him because we, and we choose choices that he wants us to choose to pursue holiness. So we can be more like him. And all that comes to walking obedience to his word. 
And then next week as we wrap up on verse nine, uh, verses 24 to 25, this series of Hebrews, without wavering, we fight to stir one another up. And come, now, now you all got to come back next week because I'm going to guilt you into doing it right now. We pursue him by coming into church consistently and regularly. It's a sin not to, quite frankly. Come next week. Talk to me this week about that if you want, but I'll talk more about that next week. Furthermore, we fight to rid ourselves of the sin of unbelief. That happens when we let doubts build up that results in us not putting our total hope in Jesus Christ. Why do we fight? So our faith, therefore our lives could remain vibrant, strong, and joyful, and thriving. Now with saying all that doesn't mean that we accept things with blind sort of, yes, Pastor Dave. Oh, that would be so good actually you did that, but don't do that. Do you filter through what I'm saying every Sunday through reading scripture? Who you listen to on the radio, who you listen to on the internet, what your friends say about theology and doctrine and all those things we think perhaps that don't matter, that do matter. Do you have a conviction of what you believe? So without wavering, holding fast means we don't get lazy. But we endeavor to do the hard work of chasing down the answers to the questions, the concerns we all have to the best of our abilities. Because those things, if left unpursued, build up doubts. Simple ways we can do this. Well, read the Bible. That's why we have in our both and every week a weekly, yearly Bible reading program. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Read other books of the Christian faith. And I'll be honest, we live in a society that doesn't doesn't read anymore and that's quite frankly sad do you know in when they're developing the west and when they're building the united states when they're building canada what happened when a town started what was the first thing that usually went into the town a church you know the second thing that usually went into a town is school that usually the church started so the kids could learn how to read the bible That's what our forefathers thought was important. That our kids know how to read so they can read God's word. And of course, read other things. And I get the throwback. Well, pastor, I have no time to read. Average Christian book that's worthwhile reading is about 300 pages. Most people can read 10 pages in 20 minutes. And that's not a hard read. So 10 min- or 20 minutes a day, you get to go through a 300-page book in a month. What's the average length of a half an hour sitcom without commercials? Just over about 20 minutes. So instead of watching that sitcom that's really not worthwhile, pick up like A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of Holiness or Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or Climb a Mountain and Read a Book of Theology. I got some doozies of like Everest. And I haven't made them through, so that's why I want you to climb it. <laughs> How about pray? How about ask me or 
other people you think are mature questions. Because wouldn't it be great if we went room by the clock and I could stop here and say, what questions do you have today about God and what you experienced this life or this week in your life? And we are authentic to ask them. How about take training? Two nights we've had equipping groups here and what has happened is what I thought was going to happen. And I'm not saying that as a slam, it's just reality. But on the flip side, it's not reality. There's always a choice. Commit to equipping groups. How many of you subscribe to Right Now Media and never looked at one single video from it yet? Look at it. If you don't know what that is, please see me, Marilyn, phone pastor Andrew. But it's time to stop being lazy when it comes to our Christian faith. And we do so not to increase our head knowledge, but in order to come to a conviction within our heart of what is the truth we believe. And then living out this conviction in our lives like the truth that we profess really matters. Now how far do you think Tommy John would have got, came back if he wasn't convinced he could make it? And he came back to throw a silly ball across the plate. How far do you think you will ever grow like a Christian thrive if you're not convinced about what is ultimate truth? That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. See, Tommy John's truth was he believed he could make it back if he worked hard and sweated hard and so on and so on. Now, I hope we understand as a Christian life, it certainly takes hard work. It takes effort. It takes action. It takes hard choices. It takes sweat, pain at times. But the key to the secret in the Christian life, therefore the life of thriving, rests not in our efforts. But the truth of Christianity rests in his faithfulness. That's why the verse ends the way it does, loud and clear. See, we believe, we can believe, we can trust, we have trusted, all because he is faithful to his promises. I'm standing on a stage that I never dealt that will hold on some days I doubt what's going to hold me. I stand as a Christian on the foundation of Christ, my Savior. I never have to doubt that. I still have to do things. But my foundation is Jesus Christ. Never ever have to doubt that. And we hold fast to him not because we believe. We hold fast to him because, not because we strive to grow in our faith, but because he is faithful. We confess Jesus Christ not because what we have done, but what he has, what he has done for us. We confess Jesus Christ not because we know the Bible inside out, but we understand that he has, God has remained faithful to his word, giving us this, this world of ours, the Messiah, as he has promised. We can rest assured of all our faith because he who has gave us access to God is the same always. So we hold fast to the confession of our hope 
through the changeless one who's within us, empowering us, strengthening us, equipping us, guiding us as he's promised to do. So, as we close, in light of these verses, or this verse in light of the revelation, perhaps that it's revealed about us, how much rehabbing do we have to do? How much hard work do we have to do? How much making choices to keep our eyes on the prize do we have to do to make Jesus our ultimate treasure as he is? Again, so we can thrive. Maybe for us, some of us, it's the first time. Maybe for others, it's once again. But the aim is, the prize is, is so we can thrive. Now, I hope you understand that time starts today. Not tomorrow. Because you would ridicule me if I say, I'm going to, you know, there's a wedding I got to fit in my tuxedo for, and I got to lose 50 pounds. And I'm going to start next week. Well, Pastor, you got to start today. Same principle in the Christian life. If you want to grow in Christ's maturity, it starts today. Continues tomorrow. The next day, the next day. Just like if you're rehabbing your elbow from a surgery, the pitch of baseball again, it takes consistency, it takes hard choices, it takes sweat. And hopefully we'll start seeing results in less than 18 months, and hopefully we'll thrive a lot longer than 13 more years. But it starts today by taking that next step. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to each of us what that next step is. Dear Heavenly Father, you want us to thrive, there's no doubt. Holy Spirit, guide us then, what is that next step? Perhaps it's choosing this instead of always choosing that. Perhaps it's dealing with that unhealthy habit, that addiction, that bondage that we're caught up in. Perhaps it's actually opening our Bibles and start reading it for the first time beyond the surface level. Perhaps it's asking the question that nags at our heart about faith and practicalities of what we've seen in this world. Perhaps it's even admitting that you're the Messiah and you need a Savior. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, prompt us now to take that step. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.